it was getting people to be comfortable with that. And now we're only dealing with the exceptions. We're not dealing with everything. And that's something that I, I think people don't always pick up on leveraging. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Ray Taylor. He's the Director of Advancement for Franciscan Media and has had an array of experience in nonprofits, but even beyond in the for-profit sector, and brings a Six Sigma-style approach to the way he leads at Franciscan, but also how he designs and develops fundraising strategies. During our conversation, we talk about the need to have accountability built into how you think about your fundraising plan. We talk about fundraising systems design and how you can orient your fundraising strategy, even down to the cadence of meetings that you host to drive alignment and focus across your teams, and how you can design a strategy that evolves as you continue to learn and what that looks like. Ray is brilliant and a great friend of us here at Virtuous, so let's dive in. Ray, currently you help Franciscan Media and really helped drive a lot of their fundraising uh, and really kind of donor operations side of the organization. But I'm always interested to start before we kind of dig into all the interesting things that you all are doing at Franciscan Media to really think or to kind of dig into like your path to philanthropic work. You know, I'm always curious on how people get into this work in this line uh, of occupation. Thanks, Noah. I, f- I find that question to be interesting as well whenever I'm talking to other people that have joined nonprofits, especially those of us that have done it from a longer career in in for-profit business. And I hear a common theme uh, that resonates with me and, and was how I joined was it was just aware of uh, Franciscan media being a subscriber to the magazine and, and taking, um, an email subscription that, that, that we call saint of the day and, um, going about my, my life. And, uh, our, the, our current president was director of operations five, six, uh, five and a half years ago when, uh, I saw on LinkedIn that she had a job change, um, I wrote to her and asked how it was going. And she said, we have a lot of work to do. And I started doing some work really in consulting and implementing a content management strategy because my heritage is sales and marketing. And um, so we, we started working just kind of on a gig and um, I just fell in love with the organization. It was so different than, uh, the for-profits that I had worked for and, you know, really thinking about, you know, the, the, the people that are fed by the resources that are out there and not always thinking that what could we do to, to squeeze another nickel, but how could we reach more people? And that, despite the fact that the mission was bleeding, um, you know, hadn't adopted, uh, change and hadn't adjusted to the marketplace where a lot of the revenue from publishing, you know, magazine subscriptions, printed books aren't what they used to be. So we have been able to engineer a change in that, but uh, still thinking about 
how the organization operates and, you know, reporting to a group of Franciscan friars who uh, really care about reaching more people and not so much about, you know, whether we're uh, making sure that, that, you know, there's money. Uh, They kind of, you know, uh, assume, assume that we're going to be good stewards of what we have, but they're they're never going to be supportive of a, a mission where we say, well, we're going to have to cut some jobs, we're going to cut some expenses so that we'll have more money left in the bank. And uh, it's it's been a uh, an interesting journey. And I think the other thing is that get exposure to a lot more. You know, I'm used to working for larger organizations that had. Um, pretty siloed departments for everything. And um, this, we're a pretty flat organization. And um, that's been good for me because I've, uh, like in a case of virtuous, I actually get in and use the tools. So it's not like I'm pointing to someone or, or asking people to get reports for me or uh, analyze data, I go in and do it myself. Um, and I'm able to to teach people what to do. I'm able to understand what I'm asking people to do. So it's, it's been, you know, really different working for a nonprofit. Absolutely. And I, I've kind of bounced back and forth from nonprofit to for-profit and have seen kind of similar differences, but a lot of similarities or values that you can bring from kind of a for-profit minded organization into the philanthropic effort. So I'm curious, cause I asked uh, Beth Fisher, who's uh, the VP of advancement and communications at Mel Trotter ministries, this same question, cause she came out of consulting and dove straight in and realized that there was a lot of value she brought, but there was a, a huge learning curve as well. So what have you seen coming from an outside world into a nonprofit that's been helpful? Like what have you kept with you, but where, what was the learning curve that you had to learn? Kind of what those two differences? Uh, The thing that I've seen happen uh, the most was to have, you know, really under our, our president's guidance is to have accountability, um, which requires having information. Um, And what I mean by that is that the, uh, ministry before had, if you were working on the magazine team, you knew what your role was and you might be an editor and your job is to put out good quality content and the magazine would always go out on time and never missed an issue and things like that. But um, they weren't aware of how the ministry is funded. And uh, it would be very siloed between uh, the periodicals and the books, for instance, and so there isn't the collaboration. And and we started to take some of the things that we learned in business and say, we need key performance metrics. We need dashboards. We need to be able to see what's going on. It can't be a secret. Uh, it can't be this, this separate way. And we used to look at expenses in a totally different conversation than we'd look at revenue and, and, you know, out of context, those two numbers are not as powerful as they are if you know the whole impact. So we we started to do that. And it's very hard when people have been operating, you know, a mission since 1893, you know, you develop these, these um, habits or culture. And, and it was like, I don't worry about that. That's somebody else's job. And now we're saying, no, you need to worry about it. Um, And it's taken us about, uh, you know, 
two, three years to, to really change the culture. Um, so I, I think that part's been, been good that we let people know where um, the mission is in trouble, where the mission is doing well. We have them participate in discussions around, um, you know, their offerings that sometimes we just don't, it doesn't make sense to do it anymore. And uh, it's really hard to do that. If you have, you know, even a few customers left using it, it's hard to say, we just can't offer that anymore. So um, I think that's one of the things that we've brought from our business world is that, you know, transparency, get under the hood, look at the data, develop some dashboards. You don't have to depend on leadership to tell you where you are. You should be able to, to figure that out. And you're really in a good position to be able to plot a course because you're close to it. Absolutely. And I think that 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 kind of hints, you, you said a bunch of things, so we'll unpack it. But I think the key here is bringing in this level of accountability. Because I do think that at least from my experience and conversations I've had is quite a challenge within nonprofit work and just kind of like how operational uh, or the operations of a nonprofit uh, function. And, and it goes back to the second thing you said, which is the visibility question. Like it, how can you really hold someone accountable if you don't have visibility because visibility breeds like ownership and then ownership breeds better conversations, which ultimately then kind of reinforces the opportunity to hold someone accountable and so can you kind of go under the hood a little bit and talk about how you all implemented better visibility? You already talked about how you can just dive into Virtuous and get the information you need. But you also mentioned dashboarding and other things. Like, how have you all reshaped the conversations you have so that it can unlock the opportunity to hold people accountable and really drive towards the mission-critical goals you have? It starts with just simplifying the data and getting down to the few things that matter. Um, you know, at a, at a high level, we have the old-fashioned thermometers in the conference rooms and that uh, show how much revenue. And we track, uh, as, a, as a faith-based nonprofit, we track how many blessings we deliver. Um, and those are in the form of... Uh, an email that supports your prayer, a, a book that um, helps you on your journey, uh, issues of magazines. Uh, and so, you know, that is something that people really didn't know. And it starts to be really compelling when you look around and, and say, well, I'm not sure we're getting anything done. We're, we're 25 people and we send out over 4 million emails a month and many of them are subscription-based. I requested to get a meditation every day or, you know, information about saints every day. And that's a lot of content, not to mention that we're publishing, you know, 10 or 15 new books every year, 12, uh, 10 issues a year of a magazine. And you know, when you when you add that up on a board, it makes people feel better that you know their their work is affirmed. So we we track that, and then we also track track the cost. And people uh, weren't used to that. <clears throat> they um, they now know and make better decisions about their spending. Um, then we break that apart and look at the different uh, streams that 
that comes from. And, and so some of it comes from subscription revenue, some of it comes from uh, sales of printed materials, and, and then the, uh, the rest comes from donations. And, you know, we, we spend uh, to deliver the resources uh, about half a million dollars more than we take in. Thankfully, the donors always make up that difference. And that's why the fundraising is so critical. And it, it changed a bit too in our um, strategy that the, the organization in days when publishing was booming uh, kind of got away from the idea that we're a ministry. It was like, we publish these great books and they're going to be a New York Times bestseller. You know, as publishing changed, uh, we changed as well to say we, we don't compete with Simon & Schuster. We're a very focused um, ministry that's delivering a lot of content for people who can't necessarily pay for a book. Um, and the book um, sales weren't coming up with enough to cover that. So it was important that we take a mindful approach to donations prior to that it was kind of a uh, not really a, uh, an intentional ask there were opportunities for you to check a box when you renewed your subscription um, but nothing like what we have now so that you know we can see it and the first step was just to understand how many donors do we have out there we ha we used to have to look in three systems to find that out uh, that gets really in the way of of transparency and pulling things together. Um, and that's the part really, when we, you know, picked Virtuous, we were on our, our second uh, platform in my brief tenure and um, Virtuous replaced two platforms that we had. So that helped the accountability a lot. Our CRM was separate from our, our revenue, you know, um, collection tools, if you will, our donation pages and, and that, and um, Virtuous made that, uh, you know, one tool for us and one place to go. So that was an important step in that. Um, but yeah, the, the tools are important. And it, I think it's hard for nonprofits a lot of times because you can't always afford uh, the tools that, that would make it better. And um, you know, in our case, you know, the two that we were using um, together cost more than, than what Virtuous did when, when we started with it. So it was a bonus there that we actually could afford it. Um, it's scalable. Um, we didn't have to worry that, you know, we would outgrow it. Um, it continues to grow. But, you know, without, you know, that capability, we're running a campaign right now. And I have a leadership team meeting Wednesday. And I'm sure our president's going to say how many people have donated to that campaign and is the, we have a, a premium we're offering some um, Trappistine fudge for donors that give over a hundred dollars. And it's the first time we've done that. And I'm sure she's going to want to know, and I don't have to spend half an hour to create a report. It's just there. Yeah. And we, we definitely strive to provide that visibility within Virtuous because of what you're saying and how important visibility is to making decisions. And, and I loved your, your kind of like, it's <laughs> no pun intended here, but your focus on focus and simplicity and how it's really about demystifying the numbers. Like you talked about simple things like, hey, let's just look at our expenses. Let's look at how our funding is coming in. 
And then let's look at the impact that we're having. Yeah, you can get in the weeds on all of those, but let's at least first just understand kind of the big numbers and how they relate to each other and what the importance of them are and put that in front of people. And obviously being able to have tools like Virtuous and others that kind of empower you to see that is really essential. And you brought you you bring up another point because you talked about this meeting you have on Wednesday, but also just kind of we're in the midst of you know a global pandemic where things are changing rapidly all the time. And even before COVID, you know, the, the landscape was changing rapidly. And one thing that we've heard over and over again from nonprofit leaders like yourself, Ray, is the importance of visibility so that you can make the right moves quickly and be nimble. How has that played out at Franciscan Media and how do you all use data to inform decisions that you might need to make quickly or pivots that you need to make, especially during, you know, 2020? Yeah, I think it's uh, having a cadence for reviewing the data uh, in, uh, like we have in development, there's myself and an annual fund manager and we often uh, run the numbers by people outside of the development effort to get their take. So that's one of the things that we do because, you know, people not as heads down as we are, will catch something that we don't when we present the data. So I think it's good that we, we present and we have an all company meeting once a month. And whenever we have completed a campaign fairly close to that monthly cycle, um, we present what the results were to the entire team. And, you know, that uh, good, bad, and ugly, you know, we can say this campaign didn't work or, you know, we had a glitch and, and we set something up wrong and it didn't achieve what we wanted to having, you know, we all like the success stories. But uh, I think the most important thing out of that is that people are aware and we get ideas um, sometimes during the meeting, but often, uh, later, when someone else sees an article that that we might have missed and has said, here's something you should do. So, you know, I think it's, um, you know, communicating that back out and being open to, to criticism. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to have somebody say, well, have you thought of this? And, um, you know, we do a lot of research and thought before we do something, but we can miss things and that's helpful. Um so that that's part of it, I think. Um, and then the other thing to do is to engage other professionals. Um, I am, you know, really relatively new to to fundraising, and you know, sales and marketing have a lot of um, correlation, but still, there's the nuances, and there are the things that you have to learn. You know, what's a live hunt and a side hunt, and why do you care? And so I joined the uh, Association for Fundraising Professionals and actually uh, signed up. They had a mentoring program that was starting up. And, you know, I've been in my career a long time, and it's been a long time since I've been a mentee in that program. But that was really good to have somebody uh, walk me through some of the things and challenge and say, you know, you did really well getting first-time donors with this, but, you know, what's your drop-off rate? Uh, how many people come back and what are you going to do about that? Um, there are a lot of, um, you know, different opportunities like the webinars that Virtuous puts on. The webinars are really like the webinars that Next After puts on and some of their data. Um, it's also important to have the 
the tools to do something with it. I, I'm sure there are people that are really frustrated that it's like, gosh, I saw all these great ideas about uh, a welcome series or um, the effectiveness of uh, addressing an email in an appeal this way, but I can't test it and measure the results. I wish I could. Um, we can. So it, it allows us to test some of the ideas. And I also find that just because it works for someone else, it doesn't work for us. Uh, so it's nice to be able to test those things and, and say, yeah, you know, I'm reading the studies and, and this works, but in our testing, it doesn't. And I didn't just bet the farm by running, you know, an entire year's worth of campaigns that way. So I think it's that, that combination of, you know, the, the transparency, the communication, seeking ideas from people in the organization, seeking ideas from people that are experts at it outside our organization and, uh, our annual fund manager does the same thing. She, you know, is active in her association and constantly learning, um, bringing new ideas, trying new things. Um, and, you know, to be able to see that impact, um, you know, I think without it, you, you can kind of try something, but, um, I know I'm guilty of this, that, that I see something I'm, I'm excited by the new and shiny and I want to try it. And, it's good to have somebody throttle that a little bit and say, well, let's test it and see what happens. Um, and let's make sure that we debrief on it. Like, um, you know, we make appointments to, to debrief on a campaign a week or two after it's closed so that, you know, it doesn't get away from us that, you know, I don't, I don't get attracted to the next thing and forget what I've learned. And, and you kind of like, there's so many good things in there, but just the idea of being able to reflect broadly, both internally and externally, but then also just know that your organization is uniquely different. Um, and you have to, you know, try things, but know that your supporters and your audience is really going to tell you if it works or not, not some expert or outside person. And I posted something uh, from uh, an author who was writing about the current challenging times they said, there's really no like best practices. There's only good practices that you discover through experimentation. <laughs> uh, I like and I love that because I think it's so relevant right now because there's so much complexity in our ecosystem that you really have to kind of let your supporters and your audience tell you what works. Yeah. And I, I, I have a, uh, a mentor in my, you know, lifetime career that uh, I would always hear him say, well, you know, good judgment comes from experience and experience is a whole bunch of bad judgment uh, layered uh, on top of each other. And, uh, and I think, you know, that what, you know, the, the transparency and the, the testing allows you to do is to make those bad judgments have low impact that you can say, yeah, we tried that, but we didn't bet the farm on it. Um, and, and fast, I mean, you know, the, but it's uh it's, it's also for us a balance between um, you get really excited. We, we were oh, only th maybe four years ago, we were doing almost no um, uh, electronic giving. Our um, main giving source was people checking the box on a, a card that they mailed in with their subscription. Um, so, it's easy to get um, caught up in that because 
you know, we went from having nothing from electronic giving to having half of our giving come in electronically and now even more than half, but um, we can't ignore the direct mail. And um, is direct mail is still very effective for us. And that's an area where I see a, a wide variety of strategies that there are organizations that say, I lose money on donations I get from direct mail, but it starts the conversation. And then, then it's nurturing that donor to the next level. We're fortunate enough that our direct mail campaigns pay for themselves. We don't have, I can't, can't think of any that have been negative um, coming out of the box. And, um, you know, so that's unique for us and we have to keep doing those. And, and again, that was one thing that we were using uh, HubSpot. We still use HubSpot for contact management and sending out large email campaigns. But uh, when we were using them for our CRM, it, they're just not suited for direct mail. Um, all the nuances of, of direct mail and uh, in the, the donation space, you get more of that than you get with somebody that's going to subscribe to a digital subscription, meaning that, you know, we have people that, that winter somewhere different than where they spend their time in the summer and they expect their um, print communications to follow them. And we expect our donor appeals to go in, in that same way and to have a mailing address, to have a person that has, you know, two emails. Uh, HubSpot still since adjusted to that, but for a while that was the single, that was almost like a record number that no one could have more than two emails. It became a separate record. And and so we found that when we moved over that that virtuous was more donor centric, meaning that, um, you know, we could keep track of where people lived and where they lived at certain times might be different and, and allow them to change their address with us when they made their next donation and those kind of things that are unique. But um, I have to be careful not to, you know, be so excited about the new thing and, and digital when the direct mail is still an important component. And in some ways it's, um, gets a little more attention because if you think about the number of pieces you get in the mail anymore, it's fewer. The number of emails everybody's getting in their mailbox is growing rapidly. So uh, it's a way to differentiate yourself. And we find that people are very uh, surprised when they, we, we do handwritten um, thank you notes and we do computer printed, but manually signed thank you notes for every donation that we get. Uh, that was really hard um, using spreadsheets and mail merge programs and stuff. It's, it's much easier now than it was um, for our uh, our signers. We have uh, a priest and a, and a and sister Rose, you know, Father Dan and Sister Rose that uh, send these out, and they were doing a, a lot of manual work. Uh, now, uh, the annual fund manager tease that up for him and said, here's your batch for this week. And when we have a big appeal, it's no longer like getting <laughs> grants uh, from writing because it didn't anticipate it. They can schedule the work over time and we can still get them out promptly. So uh, it's another thing I think that, that we as an organization personally have to be aware that, that 
digital isn't the only game uh, and you got to make sure that your technology supports that. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned a few times, like uh, one comment was, you know, we look at these best practices out or how people are trying different things in email or direct mail or in donor relations and they're frustrated because they can't do it. And you said we can. And obviously that drives back to the platforms that you're using to run your fundraising systems. You also keep uh, reiterating this idea that you can, like there's an, there's a need to act now versus waiting where you can't like wait on putting a bunch of things together and spreadsheets and other things to try to make it happen. Or you can't wait a week to try to figure out how to get a report so that you can share that with your team. A lot of these strategies that you're talking about around like keeping focus, simplicity, metrics, accountability, all rely on you having information and the ability to take action now. But so much about fundraising has kind of entrained us to have to wait. Like it's like we wait for support, we wait for like our reports, like we wait for somebody to help us or funding to come in or someone else to tell us what we need to do. What What is your kind of charge that you would have for fundraisers now because of the importance of, you know, now, um, if they're kind of stuck in that waiting game with their systems that they're using for fundraising? Yeah, and that that just triggered something else that that we brought from for-profit institutions is the, to value the time that people spend on work and you know, I have Six Sigma training and lots of different quality training. And, you know, there are things called hidden factories, you know, things that people do that re- that have no result, but their cost to it. And uh, we found that to be pervasive in the nonprofit environment that we were in, that, that you would ask someone, what do you do? And, well, in order to get this ready, you know, I prepare the spreadsheet and I upload that and and you kind of go, well, there's software that could do that for you. And they would say, oh, it really doesn't take me that long. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, you start to, to work alongside them and, and say, how much do you think it costs uh, us in, uh, in direct payroll, but also opportunity when you spend an hour and a half each week doing this function that could be automated? And... Uh, you kind of, you know, especially in a nonprofit, you have to be kind and let people come along. You can't just mandate it. And they're very fearful. I mean, we went through some pretty severe cuts and, you know, and have people say, are you talking about eliminating my job? And, and it takes a while for them to realize that you're not, that you're actually trying to make sure that they could do higher level things. And so when you can automate things um, and improve what they're doing, uh, it's very helpful. And I find that nonprofits more than for-profits kind of go, oh, we have a volunteer that does that or, uh, you know, this person likes doing that function. Um, we have some of that. There's, you know, writing and editing is a very labor-intensive work. I mean, we haven't found computers that really can do that yet. So it's human beings and they spend a lot of time and they get fatigued. And sometimes they like to work on a, a different kind of project. So they may hold that work and say, well, it's, it's when I'm taking my break and that exercises my brain in a different way. So don't take that away from me. But ultimately, if you give them long enough, they'll get to one of those weeks where they have a lot going on and say, I'm ready, you know, turn the switch on. And, you know, we start, you know, like our, our donor imports, you know, we're that way. We were taking them from a spreadsheet and importing them 
the, the uh, mailed in donations that we got and, and the third party provider that we have collecting donations gives us a, a spreadsheet of those. And, and we sort of say, you know, that can happen in an API and, oh, really? Well, how's that going to work? Because I have to do a lot of correction. And, um, you know, so it, it was getting people to be comfortable with that. And now we're only dealing with the exceptions. We're not dealing with everything. And that's something that I, I think people don't always pick up on leveraging, you know, the software and nonprofits the way a for-profit does. I mean, a for-profit is just built on leveraging that, making sure that we can get more productivity out of every single person yeah it reminds me of something i always talked about in hr policies that was like why are we punishing the whole for for on behalf of the exceptions uh when it's like hey we could just address the exceptions and not like force everybody else to kind of uh jump through additional hoops because we don't want to address the real problem in the room and I think you you pushed on that a little bit with systems where it's like sometimes we have these policies and processes because of people's desire to keep them that way. But it, there's only really a few exceptions or, or that like it's like if we just address the actual problem, we, we probably can, you know, free you up and give you some more white space. And, and I think that's that's what I found really often in my work when I was doing fundraising was like when we were able to free up white space, it wasn't like we had to then eliminate jobs. We actually got to give that white space to our supporters, which like, like you mentioned with writing, like we can't automate relationships and personality and all of that things. I do think automation can enhance those or continue to maintain those connections or help prioritize connections. But we really like, and I think that's the opportunity nonprofits have. Like one of our close friends um, and uh, another technology vendor always talks about this story where they had this organization that had three or four people that were just pushing papers like all week long. And it was like life sucking work. And then they freed them up. They boil it down to like one day of one person's job. And then the other people were like, what are we going to do? And so they said, hey, let's write handwritten thank you notes to all of our donors. Let's start with 200 plus. Let's go to 100 now. Let's go to this. They saw huge growth and just increased employee happiness because instead of pushing paper, they got to like connect with humans and write thank you notes and say, wow, like you're helping make a difference and help connect supporters to the story that their mission was having. It's an incredible transformation story where they were able to use a systems improvement to basically drive deeper supporter connection. And it sounds like you are, are doing something similar at Franciscan. We are, and, and the, the system... You know, it's easy to see some of the things that we picked up at, at first, like when we were, you know, training on Virtuous, people were looking at, oh, gosh, we got to look at every single record when we get an import and, and, and you go, just see how, how it goes. And really, you're only looking at the exceptions and the rest all import, you know, just as they should. So, but you're, you're cleaning it up up front before we were just importing this data and then try to clean it up. And, uh, not pausing for a minute and refreshing things or um, having a conversation with someone. I find that some of those, when, when I occasionally go in and do the imports myself, I'll um, often have a conversation with a donor because I'll say, hey, I have two addresses for you. Which one is it that you would prefer? Or sometimes people have name changes and you just go, we have you in the system as two. Um, which one would you prefer? And it always turns into a conversation about 
what happened? Well, I moved. Um, why did you move? And it gives us an opportunity to have a relationship one-to-one, even though we're dealing with, you know, 10,000 donors. Um, and the ability to for people to be heard because we get, you know, comments uh, constantly from people and they'll they'll say thank you for the mission. Um, they'll give you really good feedback on some things that they think could be better. And it's amazing to me how much time they will spend on, you know, writing to you and, and helping you improve. And they deserve to be heard and acknowledged. And we can do that now um, because you don't have to respond to every single thing that happens. But if you respond to a percentage of them, uh, that word gets out. And, and again, the system makes that a little easier. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about the things that Virtuous does that I really like. One of the things that, that I would, would like even more of is, is those donor comments to somehow be able to be captured on a screen that would just scroll so that, you know, our entire staff of 25 people could look because we, we pull those monthly now and create kind of a compilation of, you know, people saying, I loved this article, or I love the work that you're doing, keep doing it. Or you reached me at a particularly tough time or getting during the pandemic, a lot of people, um, doing those, those kind of comments. And, uh, I don't want to hold those just in the development department. We want to share those with everybody. And, you know, we pull that into a report. If that could just be kind of a scrolling thing that people, um, could look at, uh, you know, during their off time or take a break and, and see what people are saying. It might be uh, a valuable thing for us to be able to see. Well, Ray, we always appreciate your feedback. So I've taken note. I'm going to ask the team about it. So <laughs> we can definitely dig into that because we always want to continually improve as we partner with organizations like Franciscan uh, to drive forward. We're, we're basically out of time, Ray, and I know there's there's a ton of other topics I was hoping to talk about, but we just don't have the time, so we'll have to have you back. But before we go, I did want to give you the opportunity to provide some maybe you know practical, two or three practical and pragmatic kind of approaches that you would kind of implore other leaders like yourself that are in the midst of 2020, they're finishing out the year, they're looking ahead to 2021. What would you recommend leaders be focused on? Or maybe what are you focused on right now? that others could learn from? The most important thing that I try to remind myself of is to listen more and, you know, the, to take time and get out of the, the day-to-day. You'll get consumed with a campaign and, and the results and um, you, you get a, you know, a donor, you know, uh, says, hey, I've released some funds from my donor-advised um, fund and um, they're coming and you know you immediately go I wonder how much it is um, try not to spend as much time on that and just really listen to to donors and if that's you know in that stream notes that come with a donation if that's in a conversation so be it and to make sure that that we hear that because that's really where we find the best things for improvement and uh, to invite people in. We've had um, some donors come in and participate in an editorial meeting. And at first we thought like, what do you care about that? Um, But for them, it was like, 
the behind the scenes at this, you know, we monthly magazine that they get and value so much that's wow, I feel special. And gosh, some good ideas came out of that. So I can't stress enough that we have to listen more. Um, again, some of the things that we talked about is look at the data, um, test things as much as you can, especially in the in this pandemic, because you're finding things that that used to work. I mean, it's it's great. And it kind of goes to your comment about what do you do with white space? For us, the white space is the time in between campaigns that we always run. And um, sometimes you'll insert an extra campaign in there and do those things. But it's really important to take a look at, um, you know, what's working and what's not and see if you can do something about it. Uh, you know, seek the answers to those questions. Well, I don't think we could end any better outside of talking about listening. That's an important part of being a responsive nonprofit and something we talk a lot about here on the podcast. So I appreciate that reminder, Ray, and for providing so many insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Oh,